Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you. I appreciate so much, along with my family, the kindness of so many who uh, inquired about our health when we were not well, and uh, we're thankful uh, for your prayers and God's grace to restore us, to be able to be back with you. Uh, So we thank you for that. Thank you also to those of you that supported us and especially prayed for us as we were in New York City over Christmas. We thank God for the work that was accomplished, and we send warmest greetings from our missionaries there, Bill and Jill Jones. Uh, They asked me to express their gratitude for you allowing us to come and to spend that time with them and to so uh, give generously uh, in order to make that happen. So thank you for that. We're in Romans chapter 1 today. If you are not there, I invite you to join me there in Romans chapter 1. Have you ever been embarrassed? Perhaps you remember a time not too long ago where you were ashamed of a choice you made. Could have been something you said at a Christmas gathering. It may have not meant to come across as negative or disruptive, but it did, and you were embarrassed by it. As a youth, you might have felt embarrassed when your parents correct you for something. Uh, Different children respond differently, and sometimes it's just a look of displeasure. And you might feel embarrassed, ashamed of your choice, you know, right away. And you feel embarrassed. Or you might have felt embarrassed when your coworkers drove by as you received your traffic citation outside your place of employment. A little embarrassing. And, and the, the frustrating part is you would have been on time, too. And we've all had those moments of embarrassment, times when we have felt ashamed over wrong choices. But have you ever been embarrassed or ashamed because of your association, your identification with Jesus Christ? You're realizing that to believe in Jesus is to be counterculture. To hear the tenets of the Christian faith doesn't make you popular. It puts you at odds with your society. Perhaps you're not so hard on the Apostle Peter anymore with his denial of Christ. You're feeling that pressure. You know, it was Peter who, when he was in public and accused of knowing Jesus, he denied it. He went so far as to say, I don't know him, speaking of Jesus. This continued a second time with Peter when another person walked by. He was warming himself by the fire, a perfectly normal thing to do. And they said, wait a second, weren't you part of Jesus' group? Don't you know him? Of course, Peter responds vehemently denying he was part of Jesus Christ's group or even knowing him. Then, after an hour, that must have been a miserable hour for Peter. You know that feeling. You've done something that's maybe a little inappropriate or said something that you know didn't sit well, and it's that time that lapses and you're feeling awful about it. And here Peter is. Another guy comes up and says, you've got to be part of Jesus' group. You've got to know him. 
And what does Peter do? He instantly responds by denying that he knew anything about Jesus or his followers. And then it hits. It's that moment. He realizes what the Lord had prophesied. Peter would deny him three times. That's exactly what happened. He's overwhelmed right away with shame and guilt. This was his Lord. The Lord he loved. The Lord he was close to. He was part of the inner circle. And here he is denying his Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, but three times. Now maybe it's not that dramatic for us. Could be far more subtle. Maybe you deny the Lord Jesus Christ simply by not identifying with him in any way. You don't share his gospel with unbelievers in your life. You don't speak of him around others lest somebody would find out. You're very careful. You're very guarded. And we all can struggle with sharing the gospel. There's a multitude of reasons right, that we could struggle to share the gospel. We have a fear of what people might think of us. Sounds kind of fantastic, doesn't it, the whole gospel message? As one person approached me when we were in New York City, he came up after I had presented a, a, the gospel there in one of their services, and he said to me, I just don't get it. Why would somebody have to be a payment with blood for somebody else? I began to to work to explain that to him. He said, no, no, I know the Bible's teaching. I just don't like it. It doesn't make sense to me. It seems gruesome. It's graphic. It's gross. So we might be afraid of what people will think of us. We might be afraid that they might ask us a question we're not really sure of the answer to in the moment. Could be uh, fear that keeps us from sharing. Could be we're simply unsure of what the gospel is, and we're embarrassed by that. I've been a Christian for how many years, and I'm not sure I even know what the gospel is or could share that with an unbeliever. So you're embarrassed because of what you believe you don't know. Or maybe you're just unsure of how to share it with people, and that, that keeps you. You withdraw from sharing with other people because you're just not sure, how do I share the gospel? could just simply be the problem of recognizing that the people that are around us, the people in our lives every day, they are souls. Souls that will spend forever somewhere. Now, forever is a long time. It's kind of one of those words we just throw away. It's like talking about the national debt. I just can't even quantify that. You can throw those numbers at me all you want, and I'm kind of like, yeah, they sound big. That's bad. That's all I know. And that's how forever is for us. Forever is a very long time. It's because it's, well, not to be a smart aleck, but it's forever, right? It's eternity. So for some of us, we fail to recognize because we're busy, life is full, we're doing good things. And so we can quickly rush past people and, and not even think this is a soul. This is a soul in need of the Savior. So we come to a passage today that sets our focus on knowing, being motivated by, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go together now to Romans chapter 1. Look at what the scripture says here to us. 
beginning in verse 13, Romans 1, verse 13, where the Bible says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the eternal word of the only God, and its message to us is profound. It's motivating. It's captivating. So we come to the book of Romans. This is the Apostle Paul's introduction to the Christians in Rome. He did not plant this church. He had not been there prior. This is his first opportunity to speak to them. So what he says to them is instructive for us of all the things he could have said. This is what he chooses to focus on. He writes to this group of believers during his third missionary journey. Paul's been through a lot by this point. You remember his first two missionary journeys, there was opposition. There was difficulty. This this wasn't staying at the Hilton every night. This was rough at times. But much gospel fruit that remained to eternity was accomplished as a result of those first two missionary journeys. So now we find him, he's on his third missionary journey. And what he's planning to do is he's writing from Corinth, and he's planning to go from Corinth to Jerusalem. Now, you may remember... We had a preacher not long ago that spoke to us on the topic of giving. And at the time, he was writing to the Corinthians. And it's okay if you don't remember this. I understand. Uh, I'm not so offended. And as he was writing, he's writing to the Corinthians saying, I'm coming to you to collect an offering to take it to the poor for their relief in Jerusalem. This is where he's at. He went to Corinth. To collect that offering that he had encouraged them to give generously. Uh, Perhaps it's ringing some bells, perhaps not. And so here he is riding to Rome, and he's planning to go to Jerusalem. Then his plan is to go from Jerusalem to this church in Rome. And then his plan was to raise support from the Roman believers here. And this would become his base of operations to then launch the gospel into Spain. So ultimately, his desire is expressed in verse 5 to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all the Gentiles. This was Paul's heartbeat. He loved Jesus Christ. He loved his gospel message, and he loved people. And his heart's cry, his heart's desire is that All would hear the message of the gospel. So he labors abundantly in order to get that gospel message out. So that's what Paul is doing here. 
It's the gospel that was the fuel for his ministry. He'd been called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, verse 1. He had received grace and apostleship to advance the gospel and disciple believers, verse 5. And the Romans' faith in Jesus Christ was so well known, it had been passed around the churches throughout the world, he says, verse 8. And Paul is happily sharing. He's rejoicing in this work of the gospel in their hearts with other believers, verse 9. And all this is because of the gospel's work. Now, we move to verse 13. We see the gospel motivates fruitful ministry. This is Paul's motivation. This is what's driving him. This gospel is powerful. This gospel's transformative. This gospel is radical. And so this gospel is motivating fruitful ministry. These first several verses of chapter 1, it becomes clear that this gospel is all-consuming for Paul. You might remember with me that it was this gospel that had dramatically changed Paul. We find Paul, Acts 9, we find him breathing threats. I mean, listen to this description. Description. I'm having a little bit of uh, hearing issues because of my recent illness, so if something seems off, that's what's going on. And sometimes I can't tell if I'm talking too loud or too soft. So if I just shout, it's because the hearing went down again, okay? Um, so, but, but otherwise, the, the poor folks back there at the tech booth, pray for them. They have to deal with me on this. Um, you may remember this description of Paul. He says, he says things like, I was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is an antagonist to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His own testimony was that he did many things in opposition to the name of Jesus. Acts 26, he locked up many of the saints, and when they were put to death, he was one of them casting a vote saying, kill them. He went so far as to try to make them blaspheme. Now, this is fascinating to me. How do you make somebody blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ who've been changed by the gospel and committed their lives to him? How do you make somebody like that blaspheme? Torture, right? He was a torturer of the church of Jesus Christ. He tortured people who believes this gospel that now is fueling fruitful ministry. Whoa, that's a powerful gospel. When he's traveling near Damascus, a bright light appears and he falls to the ground. He hears the voice of Jesus himself asking Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul responds with submission and trust in Jesus Christ. What should I do? And, And the Lord tells him, And from that point forward, he would zealously, I almost don't like the word zealously there to describe Paul because it it seems more than that. I mean, this guy just eats and drinks and sleeps the gospel in its advance. He gives himself eagerly to it. He's willing to suffer for its sake. So from that point forward, he zealously takes the gospel of Jesus Christ both to Jews and to Gentiles eagerly, submissively, and faithfully sharing it. And now here we are in Romans 1.13. Paul tells his readers that though he was prevented from being with them, he had often planned to have a fruitful ministry with them. 
Then in verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to barbarians, the foolish and the wise. Now, you can imagine being called a barbarian uh, is just like today, right? You get called a barbarian. I think my middle school boys would appreciate that, but most of us don't appreciate that, right? We don't see that as a term of endearment in most cases. So here, Greeks were those who spoke Greek and had adopted Greek culture and education, while barbarians were those who had not adopted Greek culture or language and were likely frowned upon in their society, being considered unlearned and uncouth. The foolish and wise encompasses all people, which is what Paul's point is. This gospel goes to all people. He had been set apart for the gospel of God, and this gospel would go through him by God's divine design to all people, regardless of heritage, social status, education levels, or any other thing that our world divides itself over. He sent to all the Gentiles. This is the reality of the gospel. It's for all people, regardless of background, economic status, skin color, or any other divisions that unfortunately our world constantly shoves in our face. God sends Jesus to rescue from sin all who believe in him for salvation. So Paul is eager to be with the Roman Christians. He's under obligation to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, Paul was eager to share the gospel to those who were in Rome. Now, this is curious. He's writing to believers. I mean, look, look right there in your text. Verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So this is curious a little bit to me. Maybe it's just one of those things that, that you notice as you, as you study the text more deeply. You, th- you think to yourself, why would he say that to Christians and non-Christians? Like, wouldn't the gospel go to unbelievers? Well, there's nothing to indicate that Paul meant only unbelievers. Because he could also mean this gospel of Jesus Christ is for Christians. Those who have experienced the power of God to salvation in their lives. We just sang three gospel songs. And what I noticed about your singing is, as we sing those gospel songs, you grow enthusiastic. I see smiles across your faces, sometimes tears, sometimes hands go up in praise, because this gospel still affects those of us who've been changed by it. And as you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you come to appreciate and be more grateful and more thankful and even motivated by this gospel as you begin to realize even more the depths of God's mercy and his love and his faithfulness to those of us who don't deserve it. So we, sh- we should have tears. We should have uh, smiling faces. Let's lift those hands. This, this is a wonderful gospel. It is a glorious message. It's a powerful gospel. We're all renewed and strengthened by a constant focus on the gospel. So Paul likely means he is eager to preach the gospel to unbelievers and believers alike because both need this gospel. Rome was the major city of its time. All roads lead to Rome. That's because it had an amazing road system. 
And it's a large international population, extensive government infrastructure and personnel, education apparatus, and nonstop commerce and industry. It, it re really reminds me of New York City. Uh, you go a lot of places in the world and say New York City, and everybody has an idea of what you're talking about. Many want to go there and visit. A, a lot of immigrants start in New York City. Uh, you go across our country, and people know of New York City. It's one of the most iconic places in all the world still today, and that's Rome. Rome was well-known throughout the world during its time and had a cosmopolitan population. The opportunities for the gospel to spread, just like in New York City, the opportunities for the gospel to spread through the known world from the various people traveling in and out of the city every day, they're just enormous. So Paul's eagerness and obligation all come as a result of the gospel. Christ had changed him and then commissioned him to take the gospel to the world instead of persecuting Christians. I mean, think about this. This dude is gloriously transformed. Instead of persecuting Christians, he works to share Christianity with the world. And here in Romans 1, we see Paul motivated again by the gospel to take it here to the Romans and then on to Spain. All of this comes from what he's going to tell us in the next few verses. The gospel is God's power for salvation. The gospel is God's power for salvation. This is not an impotent or false gospel. It is the powerful gospel accomplishing the powerful work of God in the hearts of people. The gospel means good news. Now, as you can imagine, there was good news long before the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone got married, had a baby, it was gospel or good news. So when you hear that word gospel, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel of Jesus Christ is good news because it brings eternal salvation and rescue for all who believe. It does what nothing else can do. Because it is the righteousness of God for all who believe. But you are unable to know this power of God if you have never embraced the gospel for yourself. The gospel is exactly what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Now the reality is every person has failed to obey God's commands. This is what the Bible calls sin. Paul says the same in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this is why Christ died, was for the sins of his people. So the gospel is admitting your sin, your disobedience to God, and trusting in the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sin, and right relationship with God. So the, the message to you is simple. If you haven't embraced the gospel, it's to embrace it personally. Not your good works, not your kindness, not your generosity. You may be very kind. You might be kinder than a lot of Christians you know. You may be more generous than Christians that you know. It's not how much you give to the poor and needy, it is being rightly related to the God of heaven and earth. So embrace the gospel yourself. 
not trusting your parents' faith in God or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, but embracing it for yourself. And this is the message that could cause embarrassment for God's people. But Paul says, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, it seems strange perhaps to us for Paul to say this because, come on, Paul, guys, don't we all expect Paul to say he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, that was easy for him, right? Yes, you are being set up. It would be like Bill Gates saying he's not ashamed of Microsoft. Well, of course you would expect him to say that, right? But consider how much Paul, in his own words, suffered as a result of advancing the gospel. Just catch this list. He tells us, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I don't know if you've ever thought about that practice. I don't encourage it. Awful, awful. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Guys, I like swimming, but that's a little too much water at once. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, those seem like good reasons to shrink back from sharing the gospel. It cost him dearly. He had suffered for the sake of the gospel. He knew difficulty. He knew hardship. He knew opposition. And he knew it well. Now, you, you probably remember with me, this is tagged on to what he recognizes as his own weakness. He tells the Corinthians, he went to them in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Doesn't sound like a lot of confidence. He also recognized what you and I may often feel when considering sharing the gospel. He said the message of the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. And he must have had some concern about being ashamed of the gospel and not sharing it as he, as he should because he requests prayer for boldness in sharing the gospel. Personally, I find this request in Ephesians to be one of the most comforting and encouraging to me. If Paul is asking fellow believers to pray for him, to share the gospel, to have boldness as he ought to, man, oh man, I'm no Paul. Uh, you guys know. And so for him to, to ask for this prayer, it, it gives me comfort and encouragement as I seek to share the gospel. And I trust it will do that for you too. He says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. He's pointing us to the fact that the gospels cost him something. Pray that I might be bold enough 
to speak about it as I should. Now, if the Apostle Paul needs this help, you're probably feeling that way as well. God, help me to share the gospel as I ought to see people with eyes that are focused on their soul, their eternal condition, rather than how fast they're going to get me through this checkout line. This is somebody who's maybe had a bad day or a good day, but we'll spend eternity somewhere forever. This is a neighbor who doesn't know or love Jesus, or worse, they think they do. So we learn from Paul's example, one, pray. Pray. Pray for God's help to share the gospel as you ought to. It's not like he doesn't know this might be a struggle for you, right? We can't say he's all-knowing and he's all-seeing and then think, well, maybe he won't notice. I haven't been sharing the gospel like I should. No, he knows. Go ahead and talk to him about it. Tell him. This is something I struggle with. I do tend to be embarrassed or ashamed, and I need your help. Pray personally. Pray for the people, for God to open your eyes. I think all of us have people in our life who, needs the, God, who need the gospel, but, but we don't even recognize that. So pray that your eyes will be open to the people in your life who need the gospel, that you can reach with the gospel. And then second, ask fellow Christians to pray for you, to share the gospel as you are. The Apostle Paul did it. He tells us to imitate his example as he follows Christ. So I'd say this is a great way to start that. You have a life group. And if you don't, that could be one of your New Year's resolutions that you actually meet. Right? If you don't have a life group, make that a New Year's resolution and then go join one. And then you can tell everybody, I, I did one of my New Year's resolutions. Uh, there you go. Actually, I'm just teasing about that. Uh, you have a life group and this is one of the most vital reasons. This is one of the reasons we have life groups. To support us in works of righteousness. Tell your life group, I'm struggling to share the gospel. There are these two people in my life that I'm burdened for. I don't even know what to say or how to start that conversation. Will you pray with me? Share your prayer requests with your life group. And now you need exactly what Paul is requesting prayer for. Pray for boldness to make known the gospel. And to be compelled by this radically transformative gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think pastor and author John Piper crystallizes this need for us to share the gospel when he says, since the great commission to make disciples of all nations is still valid, and there are peoples today who do not know the gospel Every church should pray that God raise up many frontier missionaries and make us all evangelists. The need of the nations who do not know the name of Jesus is an immeasurable need. It is an infinite need. The greatest need that can be imagined is the need of the nations to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe. And no one is saved without it. Now, not every one of us is called to be a Paul. But you can't be a loving person and not want your life to count to meet this need. You and I as God's people, we go to make disciples not only because we are commanded, but also because we want 
all to know, love, and serve our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know what the gospel's done in our life. We know what it means to be rightly related to God. We know what it means to be forgiven, to know his grace, to know his mercy. And we desperately want our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and those wonderful people who help us at all those stores that we've built relationships with as we've lived in this community. We want the moms on the playground, just five and a half minutes from our church here, we want them to know the gospel and to share it with their children. So we share the message glorious so that God would receive the glory due his name and he would have a people from every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping him alone who is worthy of all praise and majesty and glory and dominion and power forever and ever. God gives us. He gives you this magnificent, and it is truly a magnificent privilege of being part of his plan of redemption for sinful humanity. He could have done it another way. But he chose to use those of us who are the redeemed people of God to share the good news, the message of Jesus Christ for all people. It is a truly magnificent, astonishing privilege given to us by the God who made us. Paul's not ashamed of this gospel because it is God's saving power at work. This is a power unparalleled, unrivaled. There are not jet engines that are stronger. There are not drugs that are stronger. There are not strong people who lift weights all day every day who are stronger than this gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. It takes somebody like Paul, who's vehemently opposed to the gospel, who's putting people in jail and torturing them because they believe it. It takes them and it radically alters them. What else can do that? And it does it again and again and changes the whole trajectory of their life. And you've seen this happen. You've seen this happen in your life. Those of you that have been sharing this good news of Jesus Christ, you've watched this happen in the lives of of, of those you've shared the gospel with. One of the things I love in in visiting our missionaries is seeing the different people that they have ministered the gospel to who've come to profess faith in Jesus Christ, not because they're such wonderful people as missionaries, though they are, I assure you, but because the gospel is powerful. And it accomplishes this powerful work of God to save all who will believe. It penetrates souls and alters lives. Simply through, and this is what's so fantastic, not by giving money to the church, not by walking enough women of maturity across the street. It's not by being nice to children. It's simply through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And it has power because it's revealing to us the righteousness of God. This righteousness is God's gift that allows him to declare those who embrace his gospel as not guilty in his sight. Paul goes on right here in chapter 1 verse 18 to describe the justice of God and bringing his wrath to bear on the sinfulness of humanity. I want to give the listener a caution. This next part's hard. 
It's heavy. It's a difficult truth. Every human is under the wrath and judgment of the almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing, justice, loving, divine judge and God. Now, here's the reality. You, you can do what a lot of folks in our society seem to be doing more and more, and that is denying reality. And you can say, well, I don't want to believe in a God like that. I don't like the sound of a God like that. That's not nice. That's mean. That's not loving. I don't think that's kind, and kind is the new religion. So I'm not going to believe in a God like that. But let me tell you that the, the reality here is it doesn't matter what you want to believe. It matters what the Bible says. The Bible says all humans are under the judgment of God. And Paul is going to take from verse 18 and he's going to go down through the rest of chapter 1 and he's going to prove his case. And he's going to go all the way through the beginning of chapter 3 saying, there is none who are good. There are none who are righteous. It doesn't matter if you're educated. It doesn't matter if you're not educated. It doesn't matter if you have money or don't have money. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter. All humans are under this awful wrath of God. And there is no hope, there is no help apart from the righteousness of God. That's why when we get to chapter 3, verse 21, the two most powerful, perhaps greatest, most comforting words in all the Bible, but now the righteousness of God has appeared. Now there's hope. Now there's help. But as we see from Paul's teaching throughout the book of Romans, all people are under the justice, the judgment of an almighty God. You cannot bribe this judge. You cannot hide from this judge. You cannot deceive or dodge this judge and his divine verdict of your guilty but you can have his wrath appeased. You can have his judgment satisfied. You can be declared not guilty in his sight. And the only way to do that is for God to provide what we call an alien righteousness. We call it alien or foreign because we can't possess it on our own. Can't work enough overtime for it. It can only be given to a person as a gift. Now, I'm not talking about some of those Christmas gifts you received where the gift giver said, can I have that back? Or actually, I gave that to you so we could all use it, right? Lovely gift. Thank you for that. Happy to be a servant. Here you go. Uh, it's not that kind of a gift. This is a true gift. And this is an alien righteousness. This then is God's righteousness that allows him to declare me, who stands under his just judgment, I did it. I told the lie. I stole. I thought the wrong thought. I was ungrateful. I rebelled against him. I wanted to go my own way. And I don't like that he's my authority. Right? All of that sin that I deserve judgment for, I'm given his righteousness as a gift. And this righteousness of God also transforms it changes us. 
Again, one pastor helpfully explains it as, the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit creates spiritual understanding and faith where once there was blindness and unbelief. It does this as a narrative of historical events. The cross, remember, it's foolishness. And the resurrection sounds crazy, ludicrous in our society, right? That reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. This narrative is the power of God bringing about the new birth and awakening faith. Therefore, the new birth comes as a God-given, clear-headed, conscious embrace of the historical person Jesus Christ as the Savior, Lord, and treasure of our life. And so I plead with you, if you have never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior, I plead with you today to get this free gift of God to know this gospel and know it for yourself, to be rescued from your sin and the judgment that you cannot escape apart from this work of Jesus. And I implore you who've embraced the gospel, don't go another day without consideration of sharing it. Pray about it. Plan for it. Think about those people in your life. Do they know this gospel? Have they embraced it for themselves? Have you shared it? How can we hide it from unbelievers and be so unwilling? If you allow fear to control you, I promise you won't share it. If you want to come up with justifications, let's get together. I can give you a few more. It's a lot. But if you're more concerned about fitting in, you won't share this glorious message. But you know Jesus came to rescue you even from the shame and embarrassment you feel about sharing this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So trust the gospel to do God's saving work. Isn't it marvelous that the gospel message hasn't changed in all these years and it's still the power of God for salvation? Commit with God's help to be motivated by the gospel, to share it for the glory of the one who has given it to us. Because the gospel is God's power for salvation, share it with all people. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go to God now in prayer. Lord God, stand in awe and wonder that you, the God of heaven, would send your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us who are such vile, wicked sinners. When we were your enemies, you sent Jesus to be our Savior and to forgive us of our sins, to give us this righteousness we cannot have on our own. It overwhelms us. It's difficult for us to understand. But we thank you 
with a simple message of the gospel that transforms us from being selfish, vile sinners to being selfless servants of Christ. Thank you for the example of Paul. You've used him again to teach us to love your gospel, to be motivated by it and to share it out, to overcome embarrassment and shame and to not be ashamed of it. Thank you for the mercies of God to those who don't deserve it. We stand complete in Christ only because of the work of Christ. We give ourselves to him for his glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.